Okay, morning everyone. Okay, so um, if you have a Bible with you, I wonder if you could turn up uh, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, We're going to need chapter 5 and verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. It's kind of almost at the end of Thessalonians actually. And it just simply uh, says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so um, we're, we're at the end of the uh, summer break right now. This is it. This is the last weekend. I hear all the parents going... I get my life back. (laughs) I am no longer the entertainments committee. Um, I want to take a little bit of time today just to kind of revisit one of the most essential core truths that we hold to uh, here at Eastgate. And I actually want to build upon that as we gear up for this new season. So in one sense, I want you to think about today as a kind of pre-season friendly, if you're into football. okay? And uh, the goal really is to encourage Every single one of us to make sure the best version of us turns up for the game. Okay, that's my goal this morning. I just want to encourage you so that the best version of you turns up for the game. And I don't know whether you're aware of this, but the whole of the created order is waiting for that to happen. Paul writing in the book of Romans says to us, the whole of creation is literally warped and twisted and groaning and crying out for the revealing of the mature sons and daughters of the king. That creation is crying out for the revealing of those who accurately reflect and represent and are able to reproduce the will, the work and the way of the king in this universe. Ladies and gentlemen, that is you and me. And um, I'm kind of quite excited about that because that's, that's a pretty good invitation, isn't it? You know, when I first got saved, I thought that getting saved was literally, you know, a ticket out of hell. I didn't realize that it was a ticket to partner with the God of the universe in running the universe. Okay, you sound mildly underwhelmed by that concept. Um, except Patrick. Because he knows what's coming. Yeah. Look, here's, here's the thing, right? The singular great principle that governs and dominates biblical scripture and history is the king and his rule and reign. We call that the kingdom of God. That is what it's all about. You know, if you thought it was about baptism or speaking in tongues or having a really good book collection that talks about tithing. Um, I met this guy on the train yesterday. He was sat, I was going up to London and he was reading a book called The Power of the Ties. And as I got off the, the, uh, the train, I just walked past him and I said, are you feeling powerful yet? <laughs> and he kind of looked at me and we're like, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> if you read Christian books in public, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> but here's the thing, you see, it's all about the king and his kingdom. It's all about the king and his rule and reign. And the whole of scripture and God's story is saturated with this theme. Kind of if you hop in the TARDIS with me, go right back to the beginning in the garden. That's what it's about. 
when God creates two people who bear his image, it's so that there can be an extension of his rule and reign through their lives over the created order that he has made. And when they step out from under his government, it all goes wrong. That's what happens when you remove God from his creation. And, you know, I I kind of feel so sad for people who say, well, you know, I couldn't possibly believe in a God who made a world like this. Well, he didn't make a world like this. The world is like this because people are trying to govern it without the one who gives them the right and the resources to do so. You know, you, you fast forward um, through scripture, we get to the flood. And, and you know, if you, if you run a certain brand of um, computer, not Macintosh, um, you will be familiar with a thing called the blue screen of death. Yes, I think we're on the same page here. This is good. And um, basically, there comes a point on your computer when you get the blue screen of death, and you know the only thing to do is reboot that thing. Well, that's what happens. Adam and Eve step out from under God's government and his rule and his reign. They lose the right to govern on his behalf. They lose the resources to govern. And within a generation, we have the first murder. And things spiral down so bad until at the time of Noah, we get the blue screen of death. And God's got one option. Reboot. And that's what he does with that global cataclysmic flood he says i'm going to start again with a new family and maybe this family will sit under my government so that they can exercise my government well things roll on from there and we get to the exodus you know there's there's the uh, descendants of abraham isaac and jacob and they're kind of holed up in egypt you know they've been there for 400 years they're slaves and what happens moses turns up and he effectively rescues them from the illegitimate rule of one king So they can come under the legitimate rule of the king. That is one of the greatest metaphors for our faith. You know, when Jesus kicked the door of your life in and said, hello, I'm here to do something pretty spectacular. It was not just so you could come to church on a Sunday. It was not just so you could speak in tongues or prophesy. It was so that you could be liberated from the illegitimate rule of a bad Bad, bad king. And so you could come under the rule of a really good, good father. Okay. We're cooking now. Well, things roll on a bit and they kind of move into the uh, promised land. And that really doesn't go too well because they forget about God within a generation and start worshipping the gods of the land. And you end up with this scenario where, for some reason, the people think it's a really good idea to tell God they would like their own king. Like, they tell the king who's rescued them, they want a king. Like a different king. And God goes, you really don't want to do that. Oh, no, 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 we do want to do that. No, you really don't want to do that. This king, whoever you call, is going to tax you. The best of your young people are going to end up in his harem and serving in his army. And the best of your food is going to end up on his table. And the best of your horses in his stables. No, we really, really, really want a king of our own. Okay, says God, which really tells me something. You've got to be careful what you pray for. We have a saying in our house, pray and duck. (laughs) It's a good plan, I promise you. And so they get a king. And the funny thing is, in this system that God never wanted them to have, is the prototype of the very answer that planet Earth needs. Because on the line of David, there is going to be a king one day who's the king of all 
kings. In fact, Jesus was known as son of David, wasn't he, for that reason. Well, you know, things keep getting worse and worse, really, and one king follows another king, and apart from a handful of good guys, most of the kings of Israel and Judah were really, really quite bad. And the prophets roll into town, like gunslingers. And it's like, you know, guys, you have so lost the plot about who is meant to be governing you, and you are living in spiritual anarchy. And that is wrong, and it's got to stop. But here's some good news. There's a king coming. And he's going to rule in a different way. And to sit under his government is going to feel really different. And it's not going to be government from the outside. You know, we've all been in those kind of relationships where someone tries to control you from the outside. That never works. You cannot change people from the outside. But this king is going to wheedle his way inside. He's going to turn your hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Soft and malleable in God's hands. And he's going to write his laws on them. Not so that they're a duty that's got to be done. But because they're going to be a joy to practice. A joy to fulfill. And that is the tension as the Old Testament ends. And the New Testament opens with Jesus saying, hey, hi, how you doing? The kingdom is so close. You could reach out and touch it right now. And the people go bonkers. They go crazy. They're like, wow, this is so exciting. The problem is the kingdom didn't quite look what they were expecting it to. They thought Messiah, whoever he was going to be, maybe this Jesus guy, was going to kick out the Romans. But instead he decided to step into their hearts and start cleaning out their personal temples. And even at the end of the New Testament, just as you know, Jesus is sort of ascending, he's got kind of you know, one toe left on planet Earth, and the disciples go, oh, but before you go, Jesus, are you at this time going to... Kingdom, is it? And they're thinking temporal. They're thinking here. They're thinking earthly. And he says, wait for power. And then you'll be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This kingdom is going to be spiritual. It's not a human kingdom. And this kingdom is going to be incremental. It's just going to like flow out. Like if you've ever left the tap on in the bathroom, you know how the sink fills up and then it spills over and then it rolls across the floor until eventually it's kind of coming down the stairs. That's what's going to happen. God's presence in the Holy Spirit is going to turn up. It's going to fill you and it's just going to start to seep out across the face of the earth. That's good stuff in it, Patrick. You just encourage me so much. Just don't stop, all right? I said to him in the break, I said, if you do that stuff you do, it's like throwing a stick to a dog. I just get more excited. My tail will wag faster. It's just... And so we get to the end of the New Testament and the book of Revelation where we're told, here it is, here's the kingdom you've been waiting for. And this beautiful phrase is coined about the people of God. They will be a kingdom of priests who shall rule on the earth. It's all about the kingdom. You know, before we take our holiday hats off and get ready to get back to work and back to school and focused in for the autumn term because Christmas is coming. (laughs) Just thought I'd say it before anyone else has. Um, I want you to know it's all about one thing, the exercise of the rule of God through those who bear the image of God who are in turn positioned under the government of God. You know, I had a friend who said, if you really want to see the kingdom, there's a sweet spot where you will and it's where... God's people are in God's place under God's rule. 
And if you look at all the situations in the Bible where it's all going wrong, it's either because they're not God's people, or they're not in the place God wants them to be, or they're not under his rule. One of those things is always missing. But you put those three together, and it's like a volatile compound. Kaboom. Jesus is the very epitome of what it is to be God's person in God's place, under God's rule. And what happens? The kingdom just like seeps out of him and starts changing the world. But this brings up a question. And the question is, what actually is the kingdom? Well, it's rooted in a word, domain. It's a domain where the king rules. It's as simple as that. It's a domain or a realm where the rule and reign of the king is experienced. And from Genesis chapter 3, where it all kind of goes wrong, right up to the second coming when Jesus comes back, the world is witnessing and living out what is effectively a collision of kingdoms. Every day, every single day of our life, we are presented with hundreds of choices where we get to make a decision whether we are going to partner with heaven or whether... We're going to partner with hell. I've got a confession to make. I love confrontation. (laughs) Once I was told that my preaching was quite combative. (laughs) And I think it should be. Because I'm not just preaching to you. I'm making sure right in this moment... The whole of the heavenly realm understands what we are about. And I'm not just talking about heaven's side of the spiritual realm. I want hell to know what we're about. I want hell to know what I'm about. I want to put a marker in the sand and say, I don't care who you are, Satan, you need to understand I exist for one purpose. That is to glorify God and confront everything you hold dear. And so wherever we go on this planet, Wherever this planet fails to live up to the heavenly blueprint that God had for it, we get to act as a conduit for God's presence and power and principles. And we get to partner with him in confronting that kingdom of darkness. That is what it means to be in the domain of the king. But the kingdom isn't just a domain It's also a domain that's on the move. You know, the kingdom isn't some kind of static piece of territory that's marked out with flags and a few turrets and some barbed wire. In here we're safe. Out here we're not. It's not that kind of thing. It is this kind of growing, living organism. Hear what Isaiah says. Now this passage comes at the end of a description about Jesus. You know, unto us a child is born, a son is given. Yeah, Prince of Peace, all of that stuff. Wonderful Counselor. Everlasting Father. And then it says this of him. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That means if you've got a graph with God's influence and time, the further you go along that graph, the government of God just gets bigger and more powerful and more of its peace is encountered. You know, I'm sick and tired of people saying, oh, the world is getting terrible. No, it's not, actually. They've done the statistics. They have actually done the statistics. The world is getting better. And I really would want to say a lot of that is because people take God seriously at his word and are starting to walk that stuff out. So it's a kingdom on the move. 
It just gets bigger and better. But not only is it domain, not only is it a domain that's on the move, it's a domain that must be, by definition, deeply personal. The great scriptural expectation is that this domain of God that's on the move will be tangible in our personal lives. The whole point of our faith and following Jesus is that when we follow him, his kingdom turns up here. Not just out there in some kind of external sense. I mean, listen to this, Paul writing to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If we are of the kingdom, there will be evidence in our lives of the ever-expanding and increasing government of God and the peace of the king. Namely, we will incrementally be looking more and more like Jesus. So I've got a simple and profound question for you. How's that going? Nervous laughter. (laughs) I had a friend who said once, you know, some people who think that they've been Christians for 20 years have actually been a Christian for one year and had to reset the exam 20 times over. I think what he was saying is, you know, in our lives, as we put down key marker points on our timeline, we should be able to say this year, I look different than I did last year. I mean, I know we're all aging, but I don't mean in that way. But I mean, in the in the sense of there is something that's happening inside of me that means that when people look at me, they are seeing more of Jesus. How's that going? How's that going? I don't ask that question to be judgmental. I ask it because I want to encourage us all to reflect. And I'll explain why I want us all to reflect. A couple of months ago, something happened to me and I stumbled upon a contradiction in my own life. I'll unpack that for you. Um, It's been a great year for us as a family in many ways. There's been some really awesome stuff happen. We've seen God just work in some incredible ways. But at the same time, it's been like, uh, to use the words of the Queen, an annus horribilis, a horrible year. Um, My mum died in January, and that was the culmination of seven years of both my parents dropping off the cliff edge of dementia Um, We had to put them in uh, care homes and I had to manage that whole process with a member of my family who I don't actually have a relationship with and they are not a Christian and we have incredibly different value systems. So that's the background and then mum dies and subsequently to that a couple of relational hand grenades get dropped in my lap. Both of them go off, one of them hurts, the other one is devastating and um, You know, I'm a bit long in the tooth as a Christian. I've been as long a Christian as I wasn't a Christian. By the way, I can just say to you, having done 25 years of each, being a Christian is a really cool thing to do. If you're not a Christian yet, you really need to just step over that line because your life will never be as cool or as awesome. I mean, I really mean that. Um, And so, you know, I'm a bit long in the tooth as a Christian now, and I just thought, okay, these things are a potential trigger for unforgiveness, And also for the bitterness that can flow from that. So I'm just going to kind of keep an eye on it. I'm just going to make sure that, you know, nothing gets out of control. And we start to process that stuff we got. Well, 
a little bit of time rolls on from those hand grenades going off and an unrelated incident happens to me where a stranger does something that's malicious and deliberate and that was actually very dangerous and potentially could have been life-threatening. And in that moment when this incident happened, someone turned up who I hadn't seen since 1993. It was the old Mark. And before I knew what had happened, there were words coming out of my mouth. The kind of words I wanted to catch and stuff back in because they were so unpleasant. And um, to give a, a summary of my end of the ensuing conversation, it went a bit like this. Have you ever had a ride in Kent Air Ambulance? Would you like one? It was a really, 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 I mean, I can laugh about that, but it was a really horrible day. It totally ruined a date night with Anne, and it was just, yeah, it was really just not good. But the thing is, after the event, I was totally devastated, totally devastated, because I suddenly felt that contradiction between everything I proclaimed to be and then this thing that slipped out that clearly wasn't who I claimed to be and although I knew what to do with my failure which was run straight to Jesus you know he is faithful and he is just and if we confess our sins to him he will forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness I knew what to do with my failure but what I didn't know what to do with is how to process it which brings us back to the text 1 Thessalonians 5 23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and your soul and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Really interesting scripture. And I just want to focus in. You know, if you've ever found yourself caught between the contradiction of your failure and your desire to be a kind of piece of real estate where God's government is perfectly worked out. If you've ever been in that place where you say, yeah, I want to be in the place where God rules and reigns and then, bleh, stuff happens and you go, oh, that's not like Jesus. I believe this text is loaded with good news and helpful information for us. See, it all hinges on this word sanctification. And I want to be honest, apart from the occurrence of it in the song we just sang, it's not really a word we talk about in Christian circles. You know, when you sit down for a coffee after church, nobody goes, how's your sanctification? (laughs) They tend to go, how's the family? How's the job? How's the car? How's the golf swing? Nobody says, how's the sanctification going? Um, I promise you, if you wrote a book on it, it would not probably be a bestseller at the moment. It's not a thing people, on the whole, in our world are engaging with. And yet it's one of the most important parts of understanding the contradiction between who we say we are and what occasionally slips out. See, to sanctify simply means to cleanse or to make holy or to anoint or to dedicate and set apart to God for some special holy use. 
That's what sanctify means. And in scripture, the word sanctification is kind of used in three ways. It's either used to denote a process, and I'll explain what I mean. The process of being set apart for God. So in Hebrews 13.12, it says, So Jesus also suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So the cross of Jesus was the very process by which we were set apart for God. But not only is it a process, it's also a state or a condition where we have been separated. So 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So it's the process of setting apart, but it is the state of being set apart. But here's the challenging one. Sanctification is also a lifestyle. A lifestyle that should flow from the fact that we live in a state of being set apart for God. 1 Peter 1.15 As he has called you is holy, you also be holy in all, all, all your conduct. You can understand why I felt a bit contradicted that day. But there's some really good news wrapped up in this text. And I just want to kind of draw it out a bit for you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would want to say this. All of us in this room, if we have turned to Jesus, then we have already had the process applied to our life. Jesus died for us to sanctify us. Yeah? We can't be more sanctified in that sense. We are also in the state of being sanctified because we have been set apart for him. So we can't complete that. That is done. We are either sanctified or we're not sanctified for his use. So how can we be sanctified more completely? Well, I think it must be in the third area. Our lifestyle needs to catch up with the reality of what Jesus has done and who he now says legally we are. And that's the challenge. Now, I promised you there's some good news in this. So what's the good news? Well, this verse tells me that we're in a process. When it says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you, it's like hoping, wishing, praying something will happen. There's a a thing yet to happen. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, i.e. you're not completely sanctified yet. You're in a process. I'm in a process. I want to say to you, that's good news. You can breathe. Just breathe now. Okay. Just relax. Why relax? Because God's got you on a journey. I'm so glad the day that I got saved, Jesus didn't say, okay, you've got to be like me now. Man, I would have just had a truckload of stuff to work through. You're in a process. It's okay. Breathe, relax. But there's some other good news as well. It's not about us. Notice who's doing the sanctifying here. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. It's God who's supervising the process. That means all the work is on his behalf. It's God's operational power working on our 
behalf. That's what we call grace, isn't it? If it was my sanctification required me to sanctify myself, that's works. And that's the kiss of death. I want to say to you this morning, if you want to make yourself more holy by something you do, you haven't got the gospel. I really mean that. You haven't got it. Now, I remember reading the fruit of spirit and thinking, oh, I've got to be more loving. Oh, I've got to be more patient. Oh, I've got to be more kind. Oh, I can't do that. The great news is you don't have to. All you have to do is get in the Holy Ghost. You know, buy a crate of Red Bull and get in the Holy Ghost. And stay there. It's not about us. It's all about him. In those moments when you feel like a contradiction, understand this. He's got you in a process. You're on a journey and the goal is fantastic. My Bible tells me that one day I'm going to look just like him in my character. That's awesome. Because like anytime anyone kind of experiences a sharp edge on me, you're experiencing me that used to be. And anytime you experience anything that's kind of nice and kind and gentle and loving, I want to say to you, you've just bumped into Jesus in me. And so one day, when face to face, we're going to be just like him. That's so good. But I've got a pact with God. Can I let you in on a little secret? See, because I've worked out that all of us are going to have to have some degree of change to get from where we are right now to looking like him. So I've got a deal with God. And my deal with God is this. Jesus, in this life, I want you to do as much work in me as possible so I look like you. So when that great day comes... I'm just stepping over the line. It's like a comfortable step. Like you're not having to do major surgery on me to get me looking like you. Because like he's got the rest of you to do that with. (laughs) No, I just, I just. But the, the reality is our sanctification, the completion of that is all about him. He's the one doing the work. So the question is this. How can we partner with him? How can we join him in the work he wants to do in our lives? Well, it's all about understanding how we are made. What's the recipe that God used when he put human beings together? You know, slugs and snails and puppy. No, it's none of that. We're a composite being. We're made up essentially of three parts. And you can find them in the book of Genesis. It says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. There are your three component parts listed at the very dawn of creation. God takes the dust of the ground. Folks, we are literally stardust. If you sucked all the water out of us, we would be made up of the same chemicals of the rest of the universe. In fact, if you were a chemical biologist you'd basically say we're worth about 20 quid each. Enough fat to make five bars of soap, or seven if you're me. Um, Enough iron to make a nail. Enough phosphorus to dip 200 matches. Enough sulfur to rid a dog of fleas. You know, you put those chemicals together, it's about 20 quid. But you're worth more than that, aren't you? And I am, certainly. 
Definitely more than 20 quid. Why? Because God himself breathed his spirit in. There's part two. You're a body that is housing a spirit. But what happens when Adam is breathed into, we're told that he became a living creature. And literally the word there means he became a conscious, aware, self-aware being. That's, that's what it is to have a soul. So Adam was literally body, spirit and soul. And then it all goes wrong. They step out from under God. The great car crash of history happens. And what actually happens to those three parts? Well, different things. First of all, the spirit becomes dead to God. It's dead to God and now it's governed by a sinful nature. The soul slips from thinking in spiritual ways to thinking purely at a natural level. You know, in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about the natural man cannot understand the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. Yeah, so your soul is operating at a natural level. And then... You know, that kind of shows up in kind of what's important is what I think and what I feel and what my opinion is. Yeah. And then the body becomes slave to its animal desires. I mean, things like food, shelter, water, sex. I think if you were writing that list today, you'd probably put Wi-Fi in there as well somewhere. Um <laughs> But that's not who we are now. Because when Jesus kicked the door of your life in and goes, ha ha, I'm here to do you something quite spectacular. He really did something quite spectacular. Because he breathed life into your spirit. You were born again in your spirit and you became perfect. And you became holy. And you became governed by a sinless nature that was in communion with God. That's what's going on in your spirit person right now. That's why you can be listening to sermons that you don't physically understand with your brain, but your little inside spirit person is going, you know, they've got the pumps on and the pom-poms going, J-E-S-U-S. You haven't got a clue what's going on in your head, but somebody inside is going, that's true, I'm having that. That's what happens to your spirit. And then we're told in scripture that our soul, the sum of our mind, will and emotions, needs to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to take truth and we need to overwrite the bad program that's in there with good programming data. And then our body, I'm really sad to say guys, Paul says it's wasting away. And it needs to be brought under control. That's why he says, I beat myself so that I don't disqualify myself. You know what I'm saying? Behave. The truth is, without Jesus, I'd be on a couch watching Netflix with pizza on speed dial. That would be my life. No, our bodies are wasting away, but one day we're going to get a brand new one. That kind of looks like us. People will recognize us, but it will be glorified. So to go to the question at the start of the message, who's actually in charge around here? I want to say one thing. It's God. It always was God. It always will be God. But here's the thing. The co-pilot seat next to him is empty. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, Jesus is my co-pilot. Oh, you've got real problems then. (laughs) Because like the last time I checked, he should be in the pilot seat. (laughs) 
you should be saying, I'm Jesus' co-pilot. But the fact is, the co-pilot seat is empty. And if you truly want to make that journey into having your sanctification completed, it's all about partnering with him by putting the right person in the seat. If you put your body in charge, well, that's a car rack right there. Paul talks about people in the New Testament whose stomachs were their gods. You know, the body's in control. In fact, there's a shop in London called Obey Your Body. I have to say, it's a makeup and perfume shop. That's all I'm saying. Um, (laughs) No, in all seriousness, but that is kind of the mantra of our age. You know, if it feels good, just do it, man. You know, no, no, we don't want that person in charge. We don't want that person co-piloting. Actually, you don't want your soul in the co-pilot seat because your soul is in the process of being transformed by being renewed. Actually, there's only one person you want in that seat. And that's your spirit. Because that spirit's perfectly in tune with God, loves what God loves, hates what God loves, uh, hates what God hates, and just wants to do what God wants to do. And that's my appeal to us today. Who's in charge around here? Well, it's actually God. But He wants to partner with you in that process by which He completes your sanctification. This world does not read its Bible. You are the only Bible that some people are going to read. And for the person in the incident I described earlier, they had a really lousy Bible to read that day. But actually, we can give people a really good Bible by allowing God to do that work of sanctification, to bring it to completion. How? Just by putting the right person in the co-pilot seat. So should we do that? Let's stand. Father, I just want to thank you that your plan of salvation is so all-encompassing. You dealt with all the problems. You, you, you found a solution for our spirits. God, I want to thank you. You found a solution for our minds that turned all natural and stopped thinking about spiritual things. You found a solution for our bodies that are decaying. And our cry is we want to live the kind of lives that really looks like the kingdom of God is within us. We want to be conformed to your image. We want to be, day by day, more like you. And so, Father, what I want to ask is you would help us now just to tune out the messages that our body are giving us, tuning out the crazy thought patterns that go on in our heads, and just allow our spirit man to become aware of your presence right now. God, we want to become more aware of you. We want to become more aware of what you're saying. We want to become more submitted to you. We want to be a conduit in our own lives through which your rule and your reign and your goodness and your majesty and your mercy and your grace and your kindness can flow. And we just say right now, we give you permission to come and rule. And in our spirits, we want to grab your hands. And we want to walk that journey with you as you, as you bring about our sanctification, as you bring our sanctification to completeness, as you conform us to your image. We just want more of you, not just out there, but also in here. And we just ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Bless you.